Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Um, I confess that uh, even today, I'm all over the map. One moment I'm excited, one moment I think the world's falling apart. I'm pretty sure that most of us are in that position. And so we come here uh, trying to hear your voice, trying to figure out who you are, trying to figure out what truth is. We ask that you would honor that and that you would be gracious to us and that you would reveal to us what is good and true um, and that you would help us to embrace that even in the midst of our own anxieties and our own chaos and our own joys and all the combinations of things that make us human. I ask that you would speak to us tonight. And I ask that in your holy name. Amen. Okay. So however you identify or however you kind of describe your relationship with God, so some of you might call yourselves followers of Jesus. Um, Some of you might call yourself not followers of Jesus. That would define your relationship with God. But if you identify as somebody who follows Jesus, who's a Christian, who's born again, give me some other names that you might identify yourself as as a follower of Jesus. A Jesus follower a believer, very, a disciple. However you describe these things, one very important um, descriptor of you is a priest. If you say that you're a follower of Jesus, if you embrace the cross and the empty tomb, if you see Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are a priest. It is an identity that you cannot get away from. And here's the cool thing about being a priest. You belong to a whole bunch of other priests. Okay, So you are a priest, and you belong to a whole bunch of other priests, and you have important functions and skills and talents that are needed within the community of priests. So to make it short... If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a priest. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are not alone. You belong to people. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have things that you need to offer because they've been given to you and they are needed by the rest of the priesthood. So we are in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be talking about Romans chapter 12. And Romans is written by Paul. Paul was an apostle. And Romans is a letter to, guess what, the Romans. Um, And guess how many people that he probably wrote to? Like a hundred. Maybe, max, a hundred people he's writing this letter to. So when I used to think about Rome must be big and he must be writing to all these Christians. No, it's probably like, you know, 80 to 100 people that he's writing to. And in Romans chapter 12, it says, starting in verse 1, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So, therefore, there's something that comes before that, right? Chapters 1 through 11. Therefore, based on chapters 1 through 11, and more importantly, chapter 11, uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Text doesn't actually say that, by the way. There are no brothers and sisters in the text. It just says brothers or brethren. But... A better translation would be, I urge you, therefore I urge you, everybody, right? That's a better translation, everybody. I urge you, everybody. Now, this word urge is a word that we use in the, in the New Testament for um, beseech, plead, come alongside, uh, 
beg, encourage. We use this word in so many different ways because the word simply means what we're about to say is super important, everybody, right? So, therefore, I urge you, everybody, in view of God's mercies. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. In view of God's mercies. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a priest. And the key to being a priest is this one phrase. In view of God's mercies. Now, the word for mercy literally means a stomach ache that you would have emotionally for someone. The very aching, when someone moves you so much that you're like, oh, that's in view of God's aching stomach, right? So, I could spend a lot of time, in fact, weeks, months, years, teaching you about the mercies of God, and it might help some of you, but most of you it wouldn't. It would just be me teaching you a lot about the mercies of God. So I feel like I need to illustrate it and help you connect to it because it's key to you being a priest. So I've given you a three-by-five card, and what I want you to do on that three-by-five card is sketch out a cross. Okay. So I want you to draw a cross because the reason I want you to draw a cross is the cross is the symbol of God's mercies. Okay. The mercies of God are the cross is the cross. Okay. And as I am speaking and talking, and you have drawn that cross on there, I want you to um, begin to write things that I say around that cross. Now, Dan, um, who we love dearly at the village, made and painted this for me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually pass this cross around because I want you to have something tangible. So just, I want the cross in your mind. And while you're drawing this cross and thinking about the mercies of God, I want to tell you a story that comes out of Luke, I believe, 23, 34. And here's the story. Jesus is on the cross. Jesus is at the point of extreme torture. His hands have been nailed into the cross. He can barely breathe. And the text tells us that below him are a bunch of Roman soldiers. And those Roman soldiers are trying to figure out how to divide up his cloak. Now, John's gospel tells us that the cloak has no seams. So they can't tear it up into pieces. So they have to cast lots for it. Or as we might say, they have to roll dice on their 20-sided dice. You know, they're rolling dice to see who wins and gets the cloak, because this is actually a very expensive cloak, because it's not the one Jesus normally wears, but it's the one that's been thrown on him. While this is happening, Jesus says something that I think illustrates very tangibly what the mercies of God are. Jesus says, as he looks at those Roman soldiers trying to figure out what to do with his cloak, he says, Father, please forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The mercies of God are the very fact that all that I have done, present, past, and in the future, all that I am and all that humanity is, has rested, is resting on the God of the universe, Jesus, fully man, fully God. Okay? And he kind of speaks that into reality by saying, Father, in this moment of torture, 
Please forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That is the key to being a priest. Now, Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, and here's why we're talking about this priesthood, because it says to offer or to present uh, different translations. And by the way, you'll notice when I'm quoting verses, I've memorized them in so many versions, I don't even know anymore what the verse says. Um, so I may get a few of the words wrong because I've just memorized them in so many verses, versions and read it, but it basically says this, and you can check me on it. It says, to offer or present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. Okay? Those are all priest things. Okay, so now let's just stop for a minute and talk about this priesthood thing. Because for you guys, priests aren't that maybe that big of a deal unless you came out of the Catholic tradition or the Lutheran tradition, right? Then maybe you understand a little bit of what a priest does. But in the first century, life is dominated by priests. Okay, so if you want to have a baby, you go make a sacrifice at one of the Greek temples. The priest takes your, your sacrifice and you're getting blessed. There's a transaction. If you want business things to go well, if you want your marriage to go well, if you want to have success, you go to the temple and you make the sacrifice. If you are Jewish and you want to have relationship with God, you have to go to the priest and the priest has to make a sacrifice so that you can be right with God. Priests dominate the culture. Priests are mediators, the person who goes between God and you. This, chap, this verse that says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, right, holy and pleasing to God, this is your reasonable act of worship, is a mind-blowing verse for somebody in the first century because what you just told them is that the dominant power within the culture, the priest, no longer matters because you're a priest and because of the act, the mercies of God, you have access to God. You don't have to die. You just offer yourself, and that's reasonable, right? It's reasonable to respond to the mercies of God. I really, really like um, the way the complete Jewish Bible says it. It's, it ends it with, this it seems logical. This is logical temple worship, that if God made the ultimate sacrifice, you would offer yourself. That makes sense, right? This is what makes sense. Now, Verse 2 of Romans 12. Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? So, I know not all of you have had this experience, but I have to speak from my own experience. And I grew up in the church, and I have listened to Romans 12, 1 and 2 be preached over and over again. And the village sings Romans 2 over and over again, or 12, over and over again. But I think maybe we've gotten it wrong. In fact, I'm almost sure we've gotten it wrong. Because the way that we have always talked about this passage is, okay, we are not to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That means that there is two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of, the, or there's the world, and there's the kingdom of God. And there are value systems, right? There are the value systems of the world, and I should not conform to those. Greed, right? being promiscuous, stealing, murdering, adultery, all these things that we hear listed off all the time, right? Those are the values of the world. 
And I need to conform to the values of the kingdom of God, which are patience, long-suffering, peace. We can go on and on and on. Love, all those good things. That's true. But that's not what Paul is talking about. You see, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. But that is a bad translation. The word world is much better translated present age. Because the Jewish person understands two ages. There is the present age and there is the age to come. The age to come is the messianic age. It's the age of Christ. The present age is the age before. What Paul is saying here is do not conform to the present age, right? To the patterns of the present age. What are the patterns of the present age? They are a mediation pattern, meaning they are priesthood. There are priests who will go between you and will mediate for you and will help you understand your relationship with God. And if you live in that world and that's what you depend on, then that is what you will conform to. That it is so difficult for you to understand that you have this freedom to walk into the throne room of God, have communication God with God, to be able to say, hey, Jesus, and Jesus say, hey, Eric, how's it going? Really good. I'm standing up here preaching right now. Okay. Right? There's a conversation that can happen. I don't need a priest to mediate that. That's important. And the Jewish, the complete Jewish Bible, it says, what's really interesting, it says, after that it says, and let yourself be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what is this transformation? How do I begin to see myself as a priest? What is it that I need to focus on to renew my mind? Not to discipline it, to figure out how not to succumb to some terrible value system. No, the way I renew my mind and understand myself as a priest is to find myself over and over again centered on the mercies of God. The only way that I can be transformed, and that word is metamorphosed, the only way I can be metamorphized into the priesthood is to be obsessed with the mercies of God, which means to be centered in on Christ and his sacrifice for me and his willingness to say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Right? So the temptation for the people that Paul is writing to is that they want to shift back into the rules and to the laws and to the, the ways of doing things and the priest who's going to mediate. And it's so much easier just to set a bargain with the Roman God or with the, with the Greek God and he'll make everything better for us, right? Even though it doesn't really work. It's easier. So this is the first time I've actually used my phone while preaching and this morning, I got a phone call. It was pretty interesting, right in the middle of the sermon. Now, I love the way that the complete Jewish Bible says it. And so I'd like to read it to you. It finishes off verse 2. It says, if I can find verse 2 here. Do, do, do. Instead, Keep letting yourself be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what he wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed. I love that because what Paul is saying is that when you and I are transformed into an understanding that we are priests in the kingdom of God and that we have access to Jesus and that he died on the cross for our sins and that we don't have to die because of that, 
his ideas seem to make sense. The further we get away from an understanding of the mercies of God in our life, the more we are looking for someone to mediate for us, the harder it is for us to see the ideas of God making sense and succeeding. They seem kind of foolish, right? The further we get away from the mercies of God. So I don't know how many of you have gone to that job where they give you the orientation. Like you get the job and you get the all-day orientation. Um, it used to be apparently like that you would that somebody would actually come up and explain your health benefits and explain, you know, the, the handbook of employee conduct and give you all these things you're never going to read and don't care about. Now, apparently, they just videotape it and make you watch videos and check off that you watch the video. But I'm thinking some, all of you have experienced some kind of orientation like that. Well, Romans chapter 12 is the priesthood orientation. So if you're a follower of Jesus, tonight I would like to welcome you to the priesthood. And you're in orientation, so welcome to the priesthood. Okay? Welcome to the priesthood. Now, what I would like to tell you, that now that you know that you are a priest, I'd like to tell you um, that you actually belong to a bunch of other pri priests. And so I'd kind of like to read what that looks like to you. And then we'll talk about it for a minute. So, welcome to the priesthood, everybody. Verse 3. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Just, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, from one body and each member, belongs all to others. So there are two ideas here that I want you to hear. Number one is that you need to think of yourself very soberly. Paul says, with the grace given to me. So he's saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not bragging when I'm trying to tell you this. What I'm trying to say to all of you is, think of yourself very soberly. Now, if you understand where a person is when they find out that, oh, I'm a priest and I don't need any other priests, you can begin to think, I've got this on my own. I can do this by myself. I don't belong to anybody. I don't need anybody. Here's the thing. Prior to following Jesus, a person goes to a priest, follows the priest into what the priest is doing. Now that you, if you embrace Jesus, you go with priests into the kingdom of God together. The important part of this, you can see this all through scripture, is that the priesthood, the priesthood of Jesus, is not something we do alone. It's something we have to do together. And so the sober judgment that you have to make is, am I trying to do this all by myself? This relationship, this priesthood, this offering of myself as a living sacrifice? Or am I in a place where I realize I need other people to follow Jesus. That's the sober judgment. How far am I running away from people who are also priests? Okay? But the second part is that you, the only way that that's going to be successful is when you realize that you belong 
to Jesus and that you belong to the priesthood. Three days ago, I went out with, um, well, Susan's brother, and we were celebrating. And when you get Susan and her brother David together, you realize that these two people belong together. Like, they did not, like, the genetics was just like, you know, male version, female version of an Ellsbury. Like, they think the same way. They play music the same way. They, they do all the same things. In fact, when all of the cousins get together, they're like, oh, mom, you do that. Oh, dad, you do that. Because they're just so much alike in the way they approach life. They belong together. But we usually don't have that feeling that we belong. And so I'm actually going to help you belong. Now, this text says that we all belong in Christ. That's the thing that holds us together. But I want to help you here, so we're going to do an exercise. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do this exercise. You can just watch these crazy people do stuff, okay? This is how we're going to do this. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, I belong to Jesus. And you all are going to say, we belong to Jesus, okay? So let's try this. I belong to Jesus, very good. Okay. Now I'm going to say, you're going to say this. I belong to the church. We belong to the church. Okay. Now I'm going to get a little spooky here. I want you all to say, I belong to the village. Now let's say, we belong to the village. We belong to the village. All right. Now, I'm going to get a little, I want you to say, I belong to Eric. I got, that's a good one. Eric belongs to you. Now, I want you all to say, we belong to Eric. Makes you a little uncomfortable, huh? Yes, it makes you very uncomfortable. Yeah, but, but, but that's what the scripture just said. You all belong to me. And I belong to you because we are in Christ in a collective priesthood. But we're not finished yet. I want you to say, I belong, and then you're going to pick some random person in this room that you've, and you're going to say their name, okay? So ready? I belong to Carrick. I belong to Carrick. Now we're going to say, we belong, and then you're going to use somebody else's name. We belong to Wayne. Okay. I want you to think about what you just said. You said you belong to the larger church, that you belong to Jesus, that you belong to the local church, the village, that you belong to me and I belong to you and you belong to one another. It's key in being a priest to understand that you belong. You belong here. Okay? Now, the text continues, and this is that makes a shift. So I said, welcome to the priesthood. You belong to a community of priests. Now I'm going to tell you the department you belong to. Right? You have a department, and you belong to that department. All right. Verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is 
giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All right. So the scriptures, this is not the only place, tell us that the Spirit of God, when you decide to follow Jesus, gives you spiritual gifts. But here's the thing. You don't just, just because you got like the spiritual gift of, you know, teaching doesn't mean you don't have all of the other responsibilities. Because if you read all of these, you will realize that each one of these is the job of a priest. Priests prophesy, priests teach, priests lead. You are expected to do all of this. You cannot say tonight when one person is cleaning the dishes, oh, I don't have the gift of serving. I don't have to do the dishes, right? You don't, you know, like, it just be, if you're like, like all of us are like, no, nah, I don't have the gift of giving, right? You, just because you're, that's not your gift doesn't mean you don't give generously, right? All of us have these gifts. Here's the thing about spiritual gifts. God gives them to you, and those of us, so like if you have the gift of teaching, for instance, it doesn't mean that nobody else has the gift of teaching. It means that you are to demonstrate for everyone what, that, what teaching looks like and invite everyone else to teach. So this is how that would work. I am teaching you about the priesthood and about the spiritual gifts. You are to take this information, make it your own, and teach it to somebody else. Right? What's really cool in this community that I have seen is that just because someone is not standing up here teaching doesn't mean that people don't teach. I see on a Sunday people who have the gift of teaching wandering around, instructing children, sitting down and helping people understand things, inviting people to their homes and opening their Bible and teaching them. Teaching happens right? And it partly happens because it's demonstrated. So if you have a particular gift, what you are doing is showing the rest of the community how to do that and inviting them to do it, okay? But I realized that all of us are in different places. And I was talking to my son um, yesterday, and I was trying to explain to him the sermon, and I'm like, hey, so I know you like these fantasy games and Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of stuff. Is there a ranking system that we, I could use to translate into this sermon. And he said, no. You can't have people saying, well, I'm a level 32 mercy guy. And the other guy's like, well, I'm only level two. Sorry. Like, well, we need to roll for a perception check because I don't even know who needs mercy. Um, so, some of you know what I'm talking about. Very good. Okay. So I came up with my own thing. Not to rank you, but to help you understand something. So I think, I mean, we can make lots of groupings, but I think there are basically three groups that you can find yourself in at least one of them. Some of you are novices, and that's not a bad thing. A novice is either means you're just young, and so you don't have a lot of experience, or you're new to the faith. And if you're a novice, you probably don't know what your spiritual gift is. And so the invitation when you are welcomed into the priesthood is you get to practice. So if you're like, yeah, I'm a novice, then you need to practice because it's the only way that you're going to find out what your gifts are, right? So practice them. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Some of you are intermediates. You've been walking with God for a while, with Jesus. 
uh, and you kind of have an idea what your spiritual gifts are, but you haven't really buckled down and practiced them, right? You have not begun the training process. You haven't put in your 10,000 hours of mercy just yet, right, to become the expert at mercy. Um, and so you're in this place where you have to make two choices. You have to, one, decide, okay, like this is my gift and I'm going to begin training in it. I'm going to, if my, I know my gift is mercy, people have told me that I, I am merciful, that they feel cared for, that I'm empathetic. Okay, I'm going to sit with people. I'm going to practice sitting with people and listening and asking good questions. So that's one thing you do as the intermediate person. The second thing you do is you find the veteran, which means you have to be observant. You look for the person who's a really good teacher, who has that gift, or you look for the person who seems to be able to serve and know what needs to be done, and you ask them to train you. You say, hey, you seem to be really good at this. Could you give me some helpful tips? You seem to be really generous. Can you help me be generous? Can you teach me how to do that? Can you show me how to do that? Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time. You are the veterans, right? You know what your spiritual gift is. You've been practicing your spiritual gift for a long time. Um, you know how they come and go, and you know how to work with them, and you know the dance. So I would encourage you to keep offering that gift. But now that you're a veteran, you need to use your observation skills. You need to look around and find the novices and find the intermediates, and you need to begin to train them and encourage them. And you can't wait until someone tells you to do it. Because here's the fascinating thing about Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The priesthood is no longer a hierarchical thing. Yes, there are leaders and people are called to lead, but it's not a hierarchy. You're a priest and you have the exact same amount of access to Jesus as I do. That means that you can also train people and care for people. So if you have the gift of giving, you need to identify other people who have the gift of giving and train them and invite them into an adventure, okay? So those are the three things that you can kind of process and think about. Before, but before we get to how you might practically do some of this, I want to talk about a few of these gifts and give you some encouragement in them because you might not have heard about them. So let's talk about the first gift, prophecy, because that's the one that most of us don't talk about. Um, so let me give you a definition of prophecy that you can work with. Here is what the prophecy is. Prophecy is seeing what God is doing in a community and calling it out. Okay? And this appears three ways in the community of God. One, it appears in an encouraging way. As a prophet, you look at a community of God and you see that God is doing good things and people are responding to the Holy Spirit, but they do not have words for what's happening amongst them. A prophet says, this is what God is doing amongst you. It is a good thing. And people feel encouraged and excited about what God is doing. Number two, a prophet is someone who tells you what the consequences are. So a prophet looks at a group of people and he sees, or an individual, and sees that they are walking away from the mercies of God and walking away from the priesthood. And they say, if you continue down th that way, this is what will happen. God will allow and do these things in order to bring you back. These are the consequences you will experience for your sin and rebellion. 
That's what a prophet does. So a prophet encourages by saying, here's the good things. The prophet said, here's going to be the consequences. You're still going down that way. And the third one is, a prophet looks at a community and says, this is what's going to happen in the future. We need to prepare for it. This is what's going to happen in the future. We need to prepare for it. So they tell us something about the future to prepare us. They call out what God has been doing to encourage us, and they warn us to walk away from our rebellion and our sin. Okay? So that's kind of how that works, so you understand that. I want to just target three different gifts in here just so you know another thing. It says teaching, encouraging, and... um, What's the teaching, encouraging, and serving? It's interesting that the text here says if you have the gift of teaching, teach. If you have the gift of serving, serve. If you have the gift of encouraging, encourage. It doesn't say, it doesn't add any little complexities to it because here's the thing if you have the gift of teaching, you need to teach. Do it. Right? That's a, if you have the gift of serving, serve because the people of God are looking for what to do and what they should do. No, and so they need you to speak up. They need you to act. They need you to give them courage to do what they need to do, okay? In the prophetic one, it says that you should do this to the portion of faith that you have, right? Or the faith that's been given you. What that really means is that you should not prophesy beyond your connection to the mercies of God. Meaning, if you are deeply connected to the mercies of God, your prophetic sense of what God is doing and your words will have impact. The further away from the mercies of God, the more difficult it will be for you to see what God is doing. So, let me just give you a way to go about doing this. Everybody who is a follower of Jesus and a priest has a place to practice. This church is a place to practice. The subgroups of this church is a place to practice. Your home is a place to practice. Your work is a place to practice. Your running group is a place to practice. Your mom's group is a place to practice. Your neighborhood is a place to practice. To practice these gifts. Some are safer than others. Some look different than others depending. But you are always a priest wherever you go and you have to practice these. So, here's my invitation to you. If you're a novice, pick a gift, give it a try, right? Practice teaching. It's an easy one. Take what I've said, try to explain it to somebody else, okay? If you're an intermediate and you kind of have a sense of what your gifts are, you don't have to completely know, but you think, yeah, I think I really am. I love giving gifts. I'm good at giving. I'd rather give somebody money than spend it on myself. Like, I love giving things away, and the more I give things away, the more things I get, and I just love giving them away. Then start practicing that. Stretch yourself. Give more than you think of your time and your energy. See what happens. Right? Practice the gift. Begin to train. Look around and see other people who are generous and ask them to help you in this process. That's your assignment. If you're somebody who's an old codger, you're the veteran of the church, you know what your gifts are, what I implore you to do is, as I said, to continue practicing your gift, but also 
I really, really, really want you to begin to look around and see people who have the potential and identify those gifts in those people, the ones that you have, and begin to train them, find them, explain it to them, even if it's awkward. Even if you sit down with somebody and say, this may be strange, but I think you're a really generous person and I have the gift of giving and I want to teach you how to give. That's all you got to say. And they may be like, you're weird. I don't want to do that. <laughs> but, but take a risk, people who've been doing this for a while. Because the only way that the darkness will be pushed back, the only way that this will be a safer and safer community to invite people to come and learn to be priests is if you and I take hold of the mantle of priesthood focusing on the mercies of God and offering ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is our reasonable act of worship. So, does anybody have any questions, thoughts, responses? I think I have a mic here. Do I have a mic runner? Who wants to run the mic? You don't have to have questions. Oh, there's one in the corner. I don't have a question, but it reminds me of that idea of like how we belong to one another. Like when you're in a new setting and you meet someone and you find out they're a Christian, there's oftentimes this like, oh, okay, like you're like me and you believe like me, presumably. And there's a peace with that, which is probably something we should look for, you know, like that, like, oh, I have someone in this fight with me in this place. And maybe you're not in the same church, but you're still in the same you, know, you belong fact, to each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Anybody else have questions, thoughts, responses? As you were talking about this and having the visual of the cross and kind of writing notes around that, um, it occurred to me that the the thief on the cross sort of is a really good example of someone taking hold of the mercies of God and then in some ways trying to be a priest to the other guy who refused what he had to offer and saying, you know, Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he says, hey, we're being punished for what we did, but this guy didn't do anything and he's sacrificing himself and remember me. So there's sort of this kind of connection that occurred to me as we were doing the visual. That's cool. Thanks, Julie. Anybody else? Thoughts, questions, comments? Up in the back, Mike. I guess um, I have have two thoughts. One might kind of be a question. Uh, My first thought is, is that it's a really profound mercy uh, to think about belonging to people, especially when you have a brain like mine that is constantly, constantly attacking me and telling me that I am isolated, that the people that say that they love me don't actually love me, and that I don't belong anywhere. So that to constantly be reminded of that you belong to this church, to other churches, to other priests. That's rich. And my second thought that's kind of a question, I guess, is that uh, you practice your gifts so you end up getting in trouble for it. And so you end up becoming um, 
um, nervous about practicing your gifts. And you'd rather just kind of go back into the shadows and not because you say things that set people off the wrong way. You're trying to help them, but you're not. So how do you, how do you battle that? Well, and I think first, um, if you're, I don't know, here's what I would say. Yes community and the priesthood and the community of priests is like sandpaper on flesh so it, it we are shaping each other as we practice right so that's important the other thing is the reason that they're you know having people come alongside you and minister with you instead of you having a gift that you use alone with a group of people um, makes it a lot safer so having people Say, okay, Mike, maybe you could have said it this way. Or, okay, Mike, maybe you could have, you know, not tried to mop the floor while we were all walking back and forth and using all that water, you know. <laughs> maybe you could do it a little differently. You could wait, right? Yes. Uh, Eric, so how many spiritual gifts do you think exist? 37,000 gifts. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, I've taught on the spiritual gifts before, and, and, and there's a certain number, obviously, that are listed in the Bible that I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. Um, but I think that there are many that aren't listed. I think they're actually categories. They're not. They're, they're ways that we operate in the world. And, and, and so they're the holy ways of doing that. Like, because teaching is the spiritual gift, but there are people who are gifted teachers, right, who aren't in the church. It's, it's not... It's not this mystical, special thing, and yet it is. So it's part of being human, too. So there are a lot of gifts and talents. And, um, and I could, we could teach on that, but we'll just leave it there for now. But 37,000. Right here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll end. So how do you uh, know what your spiritual gifts are? Is that just something that comes with time and a relationship with God and people telling you? Or, like, is that something that you can discover on your own through, like, a quiz or something? <laughs> I don't recommend quizzes. I recommend community. Um, but I also would say you practice. You, you actually literally pick one and practice it. And say, oh, yeah, wow. This is it. Like, yeah. So I would say you start by practicing. And Romans 12 gives you a list to start practicing. So that would be. First time. Yeah. Um, well. Well, I think that here's, here's just, I love the gift of mercy because it's an easy one to explain. The gift of mercy is God's heart, right? It's the beating heart of God. So if you have the gift of mercy, you are showing everyone the heart of God. And so that's pretty brutal in some ways and joyous at the same time because God loves and aches for us. 
So what you're doing with that gift is inviting others to see how God feels for us and then for them to also engage in that and offer it. So that sounds really fun and not fun at all, right? So it, it, I think you will, the Spirit of God is in you and you will make that connection and the community, if you're doing it amongst your community of priests, they will affirm that too. So that would be my short version of that answer. So I'm going to pray before people start asking me more questions. I love you guys. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much for this community and for all that you have given us. And I just ask that you would bless us and um, bring us closer together and help us really grab hold of the fact that we belong to one another. And I ask that in your holy name. Amen.